As Keenan has said, it is so wonderful to see all of you, knowing that some of you are visiting family of family, friends of friends. It's just wonderful to share this morning with you. If, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting any of you, I'm Pastor Kim Dortilly. My husband Bob and my stepdaughter are here with us this morning. Bob's always here in the front row. Um, but it's just so wonderful to be gathered together. And uh, as Keenan has said, this is the last Sunday of the year. And so asking what will God do among us is what we're gathered to know. Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that in the last few weeks, many people of every nation in the world have been anticipating and preparing and finally have celebrated one of the greatest stories ever told, Star Wars. <laughs> now, I didn't mumble, I hope. I didn't say the greatest story ever told. I mean... Undeniably, that is the story of Jesus Christ. The Word of God spoken at the beginning of time and through Him all things were formed and created, the world and universes. The Word of God given to the prophets of Israel so that they would be known to the God of the universe and He would be known to them. The Word of God who took on flesh in Jesus Christ the Word of God who suffered and died so that we might live. The Word of God that was raised by the power of God and who reigns eternally forever and ever. And the Word of God poured out onto all humanity through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest story ever told. But Star Wars is a close second, right? I mean, certainly within the top five greatest stories of all time. Now, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens yet, now, maybe for some of you, you're going, oh, oh, I came to church to get away from everybody talking about Star Wars, and here it is. It's followed me, and, and that noise, that, oh, that's the sound of my husband, not my sound of a Wookiee. For some of you <clears throat> who haven't seen the movie yet and you intend to, and maybe, maybe you're going to go later this afternoon, maybe this afternoon is the first chance that you've had to see it, and right now you have that growing anxiety that, oh my gosh, there is going to be a spoiler. I think I need to go and I need to gather my stuff. I need to get out of here before she ruins it. <sighs> I promise you I'm not going to ruin the movie for you. There are no spoilers and I promise you, by the will of God, I will not ruin this worship service for those of you that want to hear the word of God and not the lines of Star Wars. I am here to worship with you. But I do have to share one of my very favorite moments from The Force Awakens. It's in the trailer, okay? It's in the trailer. So unless you literally have been under a rock, you've seen it. It is not a spoiler, but it's a scene that gives me goosebumps. And they're the kind of goosebumps that I get when I often read scripture, the, the times that scripture comes alive and there's something deep in God that calls to something deep in me and something larger happens. Do you know what I mean? Something where the world expands and it makes sense and you see it in a way that you've never seen it before. That kind of goosebumps. Okay, so here's the scene. Now, it has been 30 years since Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo have battled the Empire. And now, 30 years later, we meet this young woman named Rey. 
And all of a sudden, Ray is caught up in these extraordinary events that she couldn't have imagined or planned for. All these things happening fast, fast, fast. She doesn't have time to think about them or process them. She's just reacting. And then all of a sudden, she finds herself on the bridge of the Millennium Falcon, standing in front of Han Solo. And she realizes this is Han Solo. And and as the reality of his presence is penetrating her brain, if she's saying to herself, well, if you're real, and she takes a step toward him and she says to him, all of the stories about what happened. And Han Solo looks at her and he says, it's true, all of it. Goosebumps, man, it's true, all of it. So what if we were just like Ray? What if you and I are caught up in a legendary story, one that we've heard about and know, and we know all the characters, and maybe some of us even have the action figures. What if we one day realize that not only is the story true, but we're in it? That just like Ray, we have this integral part in what is happening. What if our role in the greatest story ever told is no accident, but has been planned and purposed by God from the beginning of time? What if we've been chosen for our roles, kind of the way Daisy Ridley and John Boyega were chosen by J.J. Abrams, the director, except more exactly the way the apostles Peter and John were chosen by Jesus the Lord? Would we be timid in our faith then? If we realized all of this, <clears throat> would we not show up a day or two because we were a little grumpy or discouraged or tired or we didn't have blue M&Ms in our trailer? <laughs> would we forget our lines? Would we fail to research the story and to understand why it has spoken to so many people, generation after generation, so profoundly? Or would we be gripped by a boldness that comes from the conviction that everything we believe is true and that we can't be silenced? Friends, I am here to tell you today that there is a great awakening because it's true, all of it. So just like Star Wars lands us in a story that has started without us, so it is when we come to the book of Acts. <clears throat> the book of Acts is right after the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And if you want to read along with me, I invite you to turn to page 8888. I love that, 888 of your pew Bibles, or the words will be up here on screen in a few moments. We enter these verses in the middle of a story. We actually enter these verses in the middle of a prayer. Now I'm gonna set the scene before I read the scripture just to give us a little bit of context of what we're entering. Jesus had been crucified just a few weeks ago. And the people who had followed Jesus, fishermen and tax collectors, some of the poor and the riffraff of the town, people who were mostly uneducated, ordinary people, they had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But they couldn't know what that meant, the fullness of what that means, because it had never happened before. 
And now Peter and John return to their friends and they tell them what happened to them just yesterday. They tell them that they went to the temple to pray and that they healed a crippled guy, a guy who had been crippled from birth, and that all of a sudden these temple guards were really angry at them and they had them arrested and they were in jail overnight and they were brought in to testify before the Supreme Court of Israel. And then they let their friends know everything that happened. And as the followers of Jesus here together, gathered in this room, hear this story, they begin rejoicing. They begin rejoicing because they know that all of Scripture, Scripture that they have known since they were children, Scripture that is thousands of years old, is all happening exactly the way it's been said. They have the joy, the rejoicing of knowing this is all true. As Peter and John report this, they start to pray this, this unbridled rejoicing that comes out of them. And as they pray, they start to recite together. It says, their voices together to, to God are raised. And the words of Psalm 2 come to them, a Psalm of David. Listen to what they say in prayer. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Now, it's no accident that they begin to have these verses come to them. You see, they know. They know that this is Scripture being fulfilled in their midst. I want to read on where they begin to pray. Beginning in, chapter, in verse 27, it says, For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed this, in the place where they were gathered, it was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with all boldness. You see, in the course of just these few verses of Scripture, the followers of Jesus prayed for boldness, and they were given boldness. In fact, being people of prayer and boldness seems to characterize the people of the early church. And it's my hope that in inserting ourselves in these verses today that we will know on this last Sunday of 2015, that we can find ourselves in this story, that we can be refreshed and renewed by all that has been and all that will be, because God is directing all of it. So even as we said, when Psalm 2 comes to their minds, a psalm that was written by David a thousand years ago, it is not a random thing. This psalm comes to mind, a psalm that as Jewish people, they would have known all their lives. They would have learned it as children. It's not because it's just spontaneous. It's because all of these things happened, just happened. The words of David are no longer just religious poetry or a song. It's, 
It's all true. The Jews and the Gentiles did take a stand against Jesus. The Romans and the Israelites strangely united in this. The name of the king is Herod. The name of the ruler is Pontius Pilate. And, and listen, listen to who else is named just a few verses earlier. Chapter 4 in verse 5 when Peter and John are brought in to testify before the, the rulers and the temple authorities. It says, the next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Annas the high priest and Caiaphas are the same men named in the Gospel of John in Matthew 18, the same men who, much the same as what happened to Peter and John, made Jesus stand in front of them, made Jesus answer for what he had done, made Jesus testify to what power and authority he had been given to do such things. You see, for these people, these followers of Jesus, these weren't unknown people. Words from a thousand-year-old text, these were people they knew by name. Their contemporaries. These were events that they were living through now, here in the pages of Scripture. It's mind-blowing. They recognize that this isn't just a song they've been singing for years, mindlessly singing along to the radio. They realize that this is prophecy, that this is now history. People that they know by name, things foretold by the Spirit of God long ago, so that when they happen, they were meant to know that God's sovereign hand was directing all of it. You see, when God brings Scripture to mind, when you're praying, when we're praying, it's goosebump time, right? It's when something deep in God calls to something deep in you, and you know that God is showing you His truth through the events of your life. You know that you are being read into the pages of Scripture, being read in to the verses that God is giving you. So whenever you are praying, ask God to give you a verse of Scripture to clarify your circumstances, to further reveal His intention in what is happening to you. Listen to what they say next in verse 29. It says, And now, Lord... Look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. A prayer for boldness. Now, boldness, as it's used here in the New Testament, is this really awesome word. The Greek word literally translated means freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. Now, when we hear that as Americans sitting in pews in the United States, we immediately think of our Bill of Rights, right? We are guaranteed the right to freedom of speech, to freely speak in public. But this, just like so many other great things, can get abused when we focus on the right to do something rather than why we do something. For the ancient Greeks who were forming the world's first democracy, the why was much more important than ensuring the right. You see, having the right to speak freely in ancient Greece meant that you had something worthy of being said and worthy of being remembered. This 
is the essence of boldness, knowing that what you have to say is worthy of being heard. For these followers of Jesus, what they had to say was more than worthy of being heard. What they had to say was healing, saving. The very word of life is what they had to say publicly. So literally they pray, give us freedom of speech, which is awesome considering the threat that they mention. You see, the threat that has come to you is from the temple authorities, and they've been warned to never speak or teach in the name of Jesus ever again. Now let's go back just a little bit and pick up where this story, this episode starts, going back just a page to Acts chapter 3, reading beginning in verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and he said, look at us, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said to him, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit it and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is what puts everything in motion. It's a miracle of healing that is staggering because there is no explanation for it. The guy had been crippled for 40 years. There is no explanation. And so what does Peter do? He steps forward and explains it the only way he can. This, he says, was done by Jesus, not by us, by Jesus who is your Messiah, the one who's been raised from the dead, the one who is still now present to you, saving you and healing you. There is no other name given by which we must be saved. And then they go on and they speak about Jesus. They tell the people about everything that has happened. And then we see in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000 See, the next day, Peter and John are brought before the temple authorities. They've spent one night in prison. And these temple authorities, this group of, of scribes and rulers and Sadducees, ask them, by what power, by what authority, by whose name 
Did you do this? And the, it's literally translated is, did men like you do this? You common, uneducated men, you men that we've seen coming in and going out for years praying here. How is it that you've done something like that? And you see, they are told, immediately told that Jesus did this. Jesus did this. It's interesting that they are told that it's by the power of the resurrection, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was promised to them, that something like this could be done. What's interesting is that the Sadducees, who they were testifying in front of, the men who had the power to imprison them, or worse, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees did, but the Sadducees didn't. So while the Sadducees are staring at this crippled guy who can now walk and leap for joy, they somehow seem to forget that they don't believe the premise of what the answer is. It'd be like saying a Martian did this and us going, wait a minute, we don't believe in Martians. They say the guy that was resurrected from the dead did this. And what's interesting is the Sadducees don't challenge it they don't push back on the main point. The main point, they just let it go. And all they can come up with is to say, don't ever let this happen again. We're going to let you go with a warning, boys. You know those times when you were a kid and you got into trouble and you had to wait for the, your parents or, or maybe it was the police, depending on what kind of trouble you got into. But there was that, oh, that painful waiting when you'd been caught and you knew that something was going to happen and they kind of made you wait a long time. Well, this council, this group of authorities made Peter and John wait a long time while they conferred about what to do. And they weighed it all and considered it all. And finally, they come back to the boys and they say, we're going to let you go, but don't ever speak or teach in the name of Jesus ever again. And it's like when you're kids and they're like, seriously? Like, really? Is that all you got? Because we're pretty sure we're going to do it again. And off they go. And they tell their friends everything that has happened, which brings us right back to where we started. Now we're caught up in our story, right back to the people, the followers of Jesus Christ, gathered in this room, praying for boldness. And, and listen what they pray. They say, give us freedom of speech while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, they don't ask for the ability to perform more miracles. They ask for the ability to speak more freely, more often, more eloquently about the miracles that God himself is doing. You see, these things go together. God's ongoing activity in the world his miracles, his signs, his wonders, and how we, the people of God, see it and give voice to it and add understanding and meaning through the scriptures. And lastly, in this passage, these people gathered in this room, these followers of Jesus praying for boldness, I want you to see that they already have the boldness. 
They had it from the moment they started connecting the dots of what they'd learned from Scripture with the person of Jesus, with what was happening right now. You see, as soon as Peter and John tell their friends about what happened, they raise their voices to the sovereign God and begin to praise God because every time something like this happens, every time it affirms again and again what they know is true. It makes known to them the unknowable God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is goosebump time. You see, the words of David in all the Psalms, the words of the prophets, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all of them, the words of Jesus saying, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. A thousand years ago, 500 years ago, 40 days ago, these words have, of God that have been memorized and recited so that children and grandchildren can hear them. Imagine what comes pouring into your mind if you are one of these first followers of Jesus here on this day in this room. Imagine all the stories that come flooding into your head, the stories that you've heard a hundred times, the stories that you love, the burning bush, the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho, all these stories make up your faith, your hope. But over time, they've taken on the cobwebs of story, not the flesh of life. But now, now you're in the story. The story is in your flesh. It's happening all around you and through you, and suddenly you have a destiny and a purpose and a clarity and a boldness that you have never had before, a joy that rises from you that can't be quenched. God is real. God does love us. He did send his Messiah who did suffer so that we can live. He is raised from the dead. He does live, and oh my gosh, this is my story. This is our story. And there's one other thing that I want you to see. One other thing to consider. On the day that this all started in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. They weren't going to heal someone. It's not like they had some new Christmas toy that they were going into the neighborhood to play with. You see, even in the mind-boggling circumstances of what they just lived through with Jesus, they still were living out their day-to-day -day discipline of faith by being people of prayer. They must have gone to the temple to pray a hundred times. They must have walked by the crippled man a hundred times. The guy had been crippled from birth and he was laid every day at the same gate. Certainly he recognized Peter and John and certainly they recognized him. The prayers of these good Jewish men, though, are quite different on this day. This day when the Holy Spirit of God is active in them the living presence of Jesus Christ, 
Their words, their prayers are now filled with authority and healing and boldness that have never been there before. You see, when we are focused on the reality of Jesus Christ, when we are moving and living in the discipline of prayer, we can be just like the apostles, just like this crippled man who start to live in a new world order that has been ushered in by Jesus Christ. Their prayers aren't weak and their prayers aren't timid. Their prayers are bold and their prayers go far beyond anything that they could do themselves. You see, we, we have a lot of fear that permeates our prayers. And I think part of the reason is because we get focused on what we want to see happen when we pray. Yes, God tells us to bring all of our needs to Him. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the biggest things are encompassed. We pray, Thy kingdom come. And in the same prayer, the smallest things are offered to God. Lord, give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. And we are instructed by God that our prayers should fill that gamut from great things to small things. But I think that we are so aware of some of the smaller things. We hunger, we thirst, we hurt, we mourn, that we forget to pray in the name of Jesus, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We forget to pray, God, with the inbreaking reality of Jesus Christ, invade this place, invade these circumstances, invade these hearts, this flesh, these worn out knees. Would you show us what this looks like in heaven? And would glory be given to you as you show it to us here on earth? You see, the enemy wants our prayer lives to be fearful. The enemy wants us to second guess how we pray and what we pray and when we pray. He wants us to pray timidly saying, Lord, I'm not sure if I should pray this or not. I know you're busy and I, I know you got more important things than me, but you know, there's this thing and it just, it scares me to death and, and I really don't want it to happen to me. And so maybe, maybe if you could just like, you know, just maybe do something about it, that would be great. So often, we pray prayers of fear. Our prayers are often centered around what we're afraid of, around the illness, the financial hardship, the broken relationships. We say to God, God, whatever you do, don't let that happen to me. We lift up what we're afraid of because to us, it's the most important thing, and sometimes it's the only thing that we talk to God about. But I believe that to God, the thing that you're afraid of is much less important than the fear itself. God does not want us to be a fearful people. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but rather of power and of love and of self-discipline. God says, I know you're afraid of that. You're my child. I know that you're scared. And you're asking me to keep that as far away from you as I can. But as long as you're focused on that, it will have power over you. You will still be afraid. But I'll tell you what, 
What if you ask me into that? Whatever you're most afraid of, what if you ask me to come into that and fill it with my presence, the diagnosis, the devastated dream? What if rather than trying not to look at it, trying to push it out of your sight, what if you laid it before me, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? What if you colored it in with vivid colors? What if you show me where all the monsters are hiding? Go through all of the dark closets. Tell me what the voices sound like that smother you so much that you're afraid to cry out. How about if you say my name over those things and I'll be with you? I'll turn on the lights. I'll get down on my hands and knees and look under the bed with you. I'll be the one that opens the closet door. And if there's something in you, well, I'm right here. I've got this. I've got you. God is our God. God will never leave us or forsake us. This is how God overcomes our fears and transforms our prayers don't pay, pray prayers out of fear. Pray prayers out of faith. Know that whatever is happening to you, it is directed by God. It's all happening as it should be. There is a time and a place for everything. The king of the universe is with you and will never leave you. And no one can take that from you. If you have been with us in worship this year, and if you haven't, you'll hear about it right now, we have committed ourselves as a church to living out five values that we hope will characterize us as followers of Jesus Christ. Hospitality, community, health, courage, and impact. We've been hearing about these things for the last quarter of the year, and we intend to put them into practice in the next year and in years to come. But some of you will remember that we began this year, 12 months ago, we began this year by committing ourselves to prayer. Prayer is not one more value that we add to other values. Prayer is the plate that holds all of our values. Prayer is the plate that holds our vision and our mission. Prayer is what connects us to the power and will of God in the Holy Spirit. Prayer helps us take hold of holy boldness. Prayer lets us know that Scripture is in us, being lived out through us, that we are part of this story. A few years ago, a dear woman was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She believed that God could heal her, and she prayed fervently for that healing. She asked many people from this church to join her and pray for her. And in one such time of prayer with her, she confided in me and she said, the reason I so want to be healed is that I want to share the Lord with a friend of mine. I envision myself healed and walking to his front door and knocking on it and saying, I've been healed through my faith and I so want you to have what I have, to believe what I believe. That's why I want to be healed. And in this place of such intimacy and prayer, I said to her, what if it's God's intention to send you in your infirmity 
in the illness that day by day takes a little bit of your life away? What if God intends to send you to your friend to knock on his door as you are right now and to say, yea, though he slay me, yet will I believe in him. And I wish you could believe as I believe. And that is her testimony. That was her testimony before God took her home to be with Jesus. You see, it's not always about the miracle of healing, but it is always about the miracle of Jesus Christ, his presence with us. Dear friends, we are the story. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the ongoing life of God who is actively declaring his intention to redeem the world by the name of Jesus Christ. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? I hope so. I hope that we will pray boldly for it because it's all true. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for goosebump moments, God, when deep calls to deep and we know that you are moving in us and through us and for us. God, we thank you for the life of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the story of Jesus Christ, the story that has no ending because it takes place in an ongoing way through us. God, would you help us be the church? Help us enliven our prayers with the boldness that you have given to your followers throughout time. God, we pray that you would be lifted up in our midst and be made known more clearly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.